Great get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoops. But yeah, so these morons, apparently somewhere, they found this like 2,500-year-old mummy and they opened it. Like in Jack Perbridge's tr- apartment. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. Jack Perbridge's uh, awful, awful apartment house rental, whatever it is, is actually secretly been inside a twenty-five year, uh, twenty-five hundred year, sealed away mummy coffin. I just, I need people who like are in science or archaeology to watch movies. Because all of the stupid things they do, people have already been talking about. And we have so many movies of why it's like a bad idea to make dinosaurs or like open coffins. Like, I just, yeah. anyways. Watch The Mummy and The Mummy no 2. Shit, right? And however, <laughs> however, I don't know if it's called The Mummy 2. I know there's sequels, but. <laughs> the Mummy, The Mummy Returns. That's technically uh, The Mummy 2. And then The Mummy 3, whatever the title yeah. is. And then the, the, the what was the new movie. one? With um, it wasn't the mummy, or was it with Tom? It Cruise? was called the mummy, but it was with Tom Cruise, and that yeah. was supposed to be part of like the, the Universal monsters, Movie yeah. Monsters. What like they were to gonna that? bring the whole thing back, dude. I think the mummy was so bad that they were like, "Okay, we're not gonna do this now." Yeah, I mean, if you get Tom Cruise, you expect it to be good, and it it just did not live. One up. would think. Yeah, you would think. I mean, usually it does pretty well. They 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 messed up, and they they didn't get Tom Cruise. They got the deep fake Tom Cruise from TikTok. There you go. The <laughs> they got his body double from all the uh, Scientology events. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! All right. Well, uh, we're we're back for the second time. You'll never know that we were going to do this a couple of days ago, but uh, I've I've spilled the beans now. We had tried to record an episode, uh, but my laptop charger decided to just stop working completely, and we entered the show with seventy five percent battery, and I thought that would be enough. And we got 25 minutes in and it died. So we. Uh, no, no. You have to tell them how funny it was where we log on to the call and you go, just so you know, we got to kind of not do our normal thing and like really kind of stick to our plan. He's like, <laughs> my battery charger isn't working right now. I should have enough battery. We're going to be fine. 10 minutes in, you send me a little DM on Twitter. Uh, hey, after we wrap this part up, we got to stop just because, or after we do. Yeah, just like this little part, we got to stop. And yeah. then it was like two minutes later. Okay, after we do this little part, we really have to stop. And then like two minutes later, the whole thing just died. It and just like, kept, oh, it kept going that? quicker and quicker. Like it would jump, it jumped from like 70 to 60% in five minutes. I was like, okay, like that's going fast. And then I we talked for another five minutes. I looked back and it was at 40%. It just kept free falling. And it, yeah, it, it went downhill from there. And then it cut off before we could even save anything from the last show. So. We're back here again, talking the Rangers Metro Division preview, and uh, we we have a ten minute only segment that mm-hmm. uh, we're going to talk about NHL stuff. Last time we recorded this, uh, went before the footage was lost. Uh, I talked way too long, and the ten minute to ten minute <laughs> segment turned into fifteen to twenty, as it usually does. So sounds about right. That's the normal kind of math that checks out one to one and a half. Yeah. So. 
but this will be good. This will be fun. And uh, okay, so yeah, so that's what we're gonna do because this is the uh, Metropolitan Division preview. And wait a minute, give me one second. My brain just completely shut down. Uh, oh, the Mr. Metropolitan Division preview and the New York Rangers deep dive. So we wanted to stick to that, but a couple of things happened between the last episode and today, I guess now, um, that we did want to hit. Uh, a couple of little things. First things first, uh, I will start the timer and then I'm going to start talking. <laughs> Eddie, I am going to mildly edit- editorialize while I say this. You give your take and we'll move on. All right. I got it. All right. Ready, set, and go. Blake Wheeler of the Winnipeg Jets was recently stripped of the captaincy. Uh, this has been a move that has been presented as Rick Bonus's decision. Uh, as he is the new head coach there. Um, there is a lot of talk uh, um, kind of just in hockey about what this means. There have been longstanding uh, rumors that the dressing room in Winnipeg was not in a great situation. Uh, we all have heard Pierre-Luc Dubois wants out. Apparently Shifley might want out. We've seen people, uh, player after player after player, walk out the door. They don't really get free agents, notably. Um, and they can't even really get guys to stay. Um, Eddie, is this an issue? Yeah, I, I think it's an issue. Um, I don't. It doesn't make sense to strip Wheeler of the captaincy this close to the season, uh, but it's just compounded of all the issues in Winnipeg in general. We talked about this uh, with Avery on the Canadian edition where we kind of talked about all the Canadian teams about how everything's going wrong in Winnipeg. Dubois wants out, Shifley wants out, uh, and now stripping Wheeler of the captaincy. Just another in a long list of problems in Winnipeg. So, I mean, it's again, it's not surprising but uh, it's just weird. Yeah, I think for me, the one little bit I'll add is like when this first got announced, I felt like some of the uh, kind of talk around it was a little over dramatic. I was like, eh. and then the more I sat with it, and the more I kind of heard, I was like, no, it's definitely kind of a huge problem that they did this, like you said, especially so close to the season. Uh, okay, touching on the back to the Central Division. Uh, the New York Rangers traded Nils Lundqvist to the Dallas Stars for a conditional first and a conditional fourth. How do we feel? I think it's I think it's a good move for both teams. Um, I don't see where Lundqvist was going to fit into the plans for the Rangers. I, I know they really liked him, but with Schneider stepping up and Zach Jones stepping up, and then all the other guys that are already there, Fox, Truba, Keandre Miller, there wasn't a lot of room for him. Um, and then immediately goes to Dallas. He slots into the top four. Probably plays with Essel and Dell. Maybe plays with Heiskanen. Good young defenseman. It wasn't like he was traded because things weren't going well. He was tracking in the right direction. Um, so I think it's a good move for both teams. Rangers get a first-round pick. They'll probably flip for somebody at the deadline. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks in, I believe it was media day, uh, Pat Verbeek came out and addressed the kind of elephant that's not in the room and said Anaheim will not be naming a captain this year. The quote that I have written down is we're going to let the room sort itself out. Uh, Dallas Eakins made a comment uh, at that same kind of media availability about uh, the team has good veterans, uh, but essentially this is really, that was the first day that they didn't have Ryan Getzloff because once the season ended, they weren't really in that kind of environment. Any chance that maybe they all hung out together is one, unlikely because everybody lives everywhere, and two, uh, just kind of hard to do. Um, where are you at on Anaheim not having a captain this year? I think it's the right move. Uh, we talked about this before. 
it doesn't make sense to me to go right from Ryan Getzlaff and name a captain. Uh, I, I don't think there was a clear front runner. There was guys we thought were near the top of the list, guys like Fowler. We thought Trey Terry might be close to that possibility. Uh, Adam Henrique's options. But there was no guy that you said, this has to be the captain. 100% this is the guy that's that's going to take the C. So, yeah, let it kind of sort itself out, see how the season goes, see who steps up in the in the dressing room, hand obviously a bunch of you know, four guys the A, let them, for lack of a better term, battle it out and see where things go at the end of the year. You've got some young guys in Zegris and McTavish. Maybe that goes that way. Maybe you go with Fowler and or Henrique on the older side of things. So I'm, I'm fine with that. I think it would have been way too premature to name a captain for this year. Yep, hit it right on the head. There wasn't a clear... Uh, succession plan and so as much as there are guys that different people can certainly make a reasonable argument for um, seems like it's best to give everybody a year to kind of figure out their place in the new post Ryan Getzloff Ducks era uh, I believe it was last week in the I think the middle of the week we had three defensemen retire we had Keith Yandel uh, step away PK Subban stepped away and Zdeno Chara, the oldest and largest man in the world, uh, finally hung his skates up. Where are we at, Eddie? Yeah, I, I think for Chara, it was it was coming. Um, you know, again, like with Yager, he's a guy you felt like that could play forever in this league. Uh, but the play was declining over the years, and, and I'm sure the number of suitors that were willing to go in for him at this point had kind of dwindled to a point where it just made sense for him to retire. I'm sure it's just tough for him to even train at the same level anymore for a guy his size to stay and be able to play that long and not sustain a career-ending injury. It's really nice to see him go out in his own terms. Same for all the other guys, too. I think Yandel, it was starting to trend that way. He was known as an offensive defenseman throughout his career. That side of his game was starting to go as he aged, so it made sense for him. Subban's maybe a bit surprising, but again, not the same since the back injury. And this is a guy who's going to make more money probably this year in broadcasting than he could have on an NHL contract. <laughs> so it felt like the right time again for him when you sit back in hindsight to say this was a good time for him to hang up the uh, hang up the skates and move on to the next part of his career. Char, the only Hall of Famer in the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah you I, think so? Yeah, I, I like Yandel. I like Subban, um, but I don't think they did enough to get to that next level. Yeah, I think Yandel goes in as uh, a, this was the guy who set the Iron Man streak. Yeah. Uh, I think he'll be in the Hall of Fame, obviously, for that. Uh, I think if you told me in 30 years, P.K. Subban went in as a builder for his post-hockey career combined with all of the wonderful work that he did in Montreal, that he did in Nashville, I'm sure he was great in New Jersey. Um, his personality, he was never afraid of, of, of a moment. He was he was really great. Um but I think, like you said, Chara is the the one that really stands out from the three as being a clear Hall of Famer going to go in on his first uh, ballot, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, the NHL has games in Europe. One of those games is going to be in Czechia, uh, in Prague. The Czechian government, I'm still learning how to do this, I apologize if I anything, but for everybody who's not up to date, the Czech Republic, their government made a comment that they are not going to allow uh, Russian players on those NHL teams to play in the game as um, uh, a statement or reaction to the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Mike Greer, the newly appointed GM of the San Jose Sharks, said uh, about it, either we all go or none of us go. Eddie, where are you at? 
Yeah, I, I think it makes sense for both sides. I can understand why the Chechen government doesn't want Russian players or you know to be represented in these games in their country. And at the same point, I can see Mike Greer's side of things where, listen, we're not going to segregate our team uh, to go and play these games. That's not good for the locker room. And as much as, yes, you know, there are issues in Russia, it doesn't it's not directly related in a sense to these players. And it sends a bad message for them for their season to go and say, hey, we're leaving you guys here and we're going to go play these games. So, again, I see both sides of it. It makes sense to just not play the game there and not have it happen. Um you know, again, they do this every year with the European games, so I, I think it just makes sense for both sides to just scrap the game. Yeah, I'll be curious to see. I maybe something has come out in the meantime, but I haven't heard anything about what uh, any resolution, if any, that there is, is going to be in that situation. But it's definitely something I'm going to be very interested in. I think uh, for all the criticisms of Gary Bettman, he's certainly someone who can appreciate the big picture in certain instances in international relationships. Yeah. Um. The last thing that we will get to, uh, the Edmonton Oilers signed Jake Bertanen to a PTO last week. This uh, after he spent a year in the KHL after being released by the Vancouver Canucks two years ago or two seasons ago uh, after being accused of sexual assault. Uh, He was recently, I believe within the last two months, uh, he was found not guilty on those charges, and uh, he has been brought in on by, on a PTO by Ken Holland. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's setting a bad precedence for the Oilers now, uh, starting with Evander Kane in that situation. Uh, we talked with Avery about this, that you can kind of, in a sense, explain that away with the ability that Evander Kane has to play hockey and why you're willing to take a risk on a player like that. doesn't mean it's the right thing to do, but you can have that argument about it. You can't have that argument with Jake Vertanen. He's not a good hockey player. Wasn't a good hockey player here. Wasn't a good hockey player over in Russia. Um, It makes no sense. Uh, There's a lot of better players available on the free agent market. I think before this happened, Sonny Milano was still a free agent and signed mm-hmm, a PTO in, in Calgary. There's a bunch of other players available that you could bring in and give a shot to. So I, I don't see the logic here from Edmonton. And, and again, with it coupled with the Evander Kane situation, it's setting a bad precedence for their roster decisions. Yeah, there, like you said, there's not even an overly cynical justification here. Uh, final thing, real quick, last 10 seconds. Recently, Pavel Michikov, Sasha Paskyov. Fidston and Tristan Luneau were the first cuts in Ducks training camp. They have all been sent back to their CHL teams. And we did it, man. Hit it in 10 minutes. I there like that. Go. That's fun. Uh, we might, uh, yeah. We might add that in. That's, that's kind of fun. Quick, uh, the quick comments before we move on from those cuts. I think they're the logical, right? Three guys mm-hmm. go back to the OHL. Or, sorry, two back to the OHL, one to the Q, one to the WHL. Uh, I believe the four, the only four junior eligible players that were kind of obviously going to go back. I believe it's Zellweger and Goche who are the last ones there, and they're the closest to making the roster. So, yeah, I mean, this were obvious cuts if you want to call them that early on. So I'm, I'm fine with it. It'll be fun to see those guys go back and have another year. And, and outside of, you know, the other guys, Zellweger and Goche and McTavish, they don't really benefit from going back. These guys will benefit from having another year to go back and dominate. So I think it's I think it's a smart move. It's the right move. 
yeah, I think you're 100% right. I think uh, with, you know, the rookie camp that he had and uh, with how he apparently looked in the, the first game, I think you you could have made an argument that maybe Tristan Luno would stick around a little bit longer or even Minchikov maybe a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, but again, I don't I don't think there's there's no real benefit other than just having him around. And this yeah. way they already are going to go into the season and be in a position to uh, – get their heads right like friend of the program joshua bell or josh bell at joshua bell 31 on twitter said uh another year of pastyov and zelwick or pastyov and minchikov in the ohl i will take it the interesting one is noah warren's still there is he not mm-hmm. so that that's a so bit he's interesting the one for me that i think there is a very easy answer for why he of those ones has stuck around still, they don't have another guy like that. Yeah, he's kind of one for one in the Ducks prospect pool right now. I just think uh, it's it's interesting in the sense that his teammate was sent back, and that you can maybe take this as there's a legitimate shot he gets a look, right? Is like mm-hmm. I don't see the point here of keeping him for another preseason game, playing him for one preseason game and sending him back. I think there's a legitimate shot if he continues to play well that he could have, you know, a nine game look. Yeah, I I, I have to be honest, I think I would be hard pressed to see him get more than four or five games. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's a you know, a semantic thing. You're hundred percent right when you look at it as you have to look at these in nine game stints. Uh, because, as we know, that 10th game is when you burn a year of your DLC. Um, but I think the thing, like I said, is he's one for one in the Ducks prospect pool as far as that type of player, that profile, the way uh, you know you can kind of project him forward. But the other thing is, is the other guys are all lefties. And this team has a lot of left-handed puck-moving defensemen. You know, I, I mean, even right. Josh Mahura is still on this team. You know what I mean? And... You're going to have Drew Hellison. You're going to have Shattenkirk. You're going to have these guys. So, you know, I, th- I think Warren will, will probably be uh, – I imagine he'll be sent down in the next part of week or so. Yeah. Um, but I would certainly love to see him uh, be on a healthy – even a healthy scratch on opening night. That would that would be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, with, with Kulikov coming in, it, it, it does make it unlikely that, that he could see a game or two because now you've got Fowler, Drysdale, uh, or – who am I? Fowler, Klingberg, Klingberg, Kulikov, Drysdale, Shattenkirk, and then Mahura, Zellweger, whoever. But you've got you've got five got or five guys there who should play, and then that sixth spot is up for grabs. So Zellweger, I think, has the inside shot of making it. But then you still have Mahura and, and a, a few other guys there that that could yeah that could take that spot. So as much as I'd love to see it, um, and I think him staying, there is some sense to it, but it could just be again depth for preseason they want to see a few more games from him get a few more reps in because he was injured during the rookie camp and they want to get a better look at him so it could just be something like that but good for him and I, I mean he's looked good from from what i've heard from people who have been at the workouts and at the practices and, and at the games that he's looked pretty good yeah no i mean always always nice to have young guys surprising um you know i i just think it's one of those things that anytime you can have someone who is just around longer than you were expecting them to be. It's just always a nice sign. It's always encouraging. 
uh, like you said, what we heard has been pretty positive regards to most of these uh, these prospects right now. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens to the cuts in, and in what orders guys kind of get uh, sent back to wherever they're going to spend the majority of this year. All right. Well, on to the Rangers <clears throat> then. Do we want to do the Rangers or, or the division first? Uh, you know, what? we did division first for the last one, didn't we? Yes. Let's go division first. Let's do that. All right. So the I'm going to read to you, Edward, the 21-22 Metro Division standings. Carolina, 54, 20, and 8, 116 points, won the division. The New York Rangers, 52, 24, 6, 110 points, made the playoffs. Pittsburgh, 46, 25, 11, 103 points, made the playoffs. Washington, 44, 26, and 12, 100 points, made the playoffs. New York Islanders, 37, 35, and 10, 84 points, missed the playoffs. Columbus Blue Jackets, 37, 38, and 7, 81 points, the playoffs. New Jersey Devils, 27, 46, and 9, 63 points, missed the playoffs. Philadelphia Flyers, 25, 46, and 11, 61 points, missed the playoffs. Eddie, of, of the teams in this division, who do you think, good, bad, or even if it's surprising that they're stuck in neutral, who do you think is going to kind of be a bit of a shock with where they finish this year? Yeah, so my first one is a team that I think is going to fall uh, from where they did last year. It's Washington. Um, they've got a lot of injuries piling up now. You know, the last time we recorded this, I had mentioned them as well, and I had mentioned Tom Wilson. It apparently he's on track to come back a little bit sooner. He's I think projected to miss three months, so maybe it's going to be you know around a month and a half, two months now. Either way, they start the season without him. They start the season without Nick Backstrom. Um, and they hadn't really done anything in the off season to address, you know, some significant holes in their lineup. They brought in Dylan Strom, they brought in Marcus Johansson. Um, I believe they they added a little bit on defense, but largely this is still the same team, and the injuries still remain the same. So this is going to be heavy on Kuznetsov and Ovechkin for a good two to three months to start the season, and then Tom Wilson comes back, and that helps a little bit. But they're still. Nick Backstrom could still miss the entire year. There, there's mm-hmm. not a lot clear on how that's going to go. Um, it's one of those injuries that, you know, similar to, I think, Sean Couturier, what he's dealing with right now, where projected that maybe he could come back. A setback happened with his injury, now looks set to miss most of the year. So I think they could fall pretty far. I don't think they're going to get near 100 points. I think we could be looking at a team that finishes in that 80 to 85 point year. Uh, point range in a good year for them this year which sucks because i want to see obi do well i think obi's still going to score goals and he's going to be the real reason that that team is even scratching at maybe getting a wild card spot but there's no way i could see them being a hundred point team this year i just don't see guys like Connor mcmichael and hendrick lapierre stepping up enough to make up for those losses yeah you're a little low on those guys i think uh you're not not that they're you know, inherently like bad players, but that you just don't think they have the kind of difference-making upside yeah. that another player would have to, again, like you said, make up for the loss of Nicholas Backstrom. Like, and there's not many guys who can, right? In, right. in the He's way that team operates, special. right? Like they are, they have always been heavily reliant on Ov Backstrom as a top line and then Kuznetsov being a secondary scorer. Now you take that, that option out where now it is really just one line and all that 
pressure to, to get secondary scoring is on Lapierre. It's on McMichael. It's on Dylan Strom. It's on Anthony Mantha, who I believe is still there. Mm-hmm. So it's on it's on those guys. Yeah, and listen, they, they have the talent, if everything goes well, to to, to make it and, and get close to what they were last year. Just with the injuries, and I'm not a huge fan of Darcy Kemper there either, I could see this going off the rails fairly quickly and, and them missing the playoffs. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I think you're right. I don't think that the, the floor is as high for this team. Um, I'm, you know, not a big Darcy Kemper fan. Um you know, I, I mean, look, like, I, I don't know why it kind of hadn't clicked in my head when we did the first 30 minutes of the show or whatever the last time. But one of the things is, like you were saying, they're heavily reliant on Backstrom and Ovechkin. Like, the Ducks and the Capitals were really the same franchise, you know, for five, six, seven years. The Ducks won theirs early in the career of the two. And then, you know, it took to, I think he was... 33 something like that in that area before uh, Ovechkin finally got his cup mm-hmm. um, you know but again it's a, a team that was borderline dominant in the regular season played a distinctive style of play had an, an incredible uh, steady presence in the locker room on the ice uh, dependable guys and it's just kind of always been about finding guys to support them um, yeah, I think Nick Backstrom is great. I, I think not having him is, is going to be a huge issue. Uh, I You know, you always want to root for guys. You hope Dylan Strom does well, especially after getting out of Chicago. But yeah. um, I don't know that there's a ton of optimism. I don't I don't think it's insane. Short of, you know, Mick, uh, McMichael or LaPierre really popping huge. And, like, I like those guys. I think they can be meaningful players. But, like... Um, you know, I I think it's it's fair to say that short of them being at the very best way ahead of schedule, uh, this is probably yeah an eighty five point team, um, especially with some of the other teams in this division who have taken big steps forward uh, or made meaningful um, additions. Yep. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the big thing as well. Is a lot of teams have gotten better, or teams should perform better than last year. So I think you know New Jersey's gotten better, Columbus has gotten better, Philadelphia, despite the injuries that they're suffering right now, with John Trotterello there and the players they have, they should not be the worst team in this division. Pittsburgh's still going to be good. The Rangers and Carolina are in a tier of their own. So, you know, it's going to be tough to win games. There's not going to be any really easy matchups here. Even the Islanders, who I think are potentially the worst team in this division, that's still not going to be an easy game against them. They still have some good players there. So it is one of the tougher divisions in terms of parity. Outside, I think, of Carolina and the Rangers, everybody's kind of in the mix there, right? Like, I don't think we're looking at anybody and saying, you know, they're in Arizona or Chicago in this division. They're a clear bottom. I, I think everybody has a chance, if things go right for them, to compete for a playoff spot. Yeah, I think, you know, I I think the team's... I think you're right. I think there isn't a definitive tanking team in this division. Um, you know, the Couturier, informa- uh, the Couturier injury information coming out that he's likely to miss the whole season, I, I think that that puts a huge um, cap on how well they can play just on a nightly basis on this team. Like, mm-hmm. I think he's a great player. I think he's a difference maker. I think he means a lot in that locker room. 
room. I think he's the type of player who fits a Tortorella style perfectly. He's a hard-nosed, 200-foot guy. Ability and, you know, he's kind of Ryan O'Reilly-ish to me in that way, in that, you know, maybe in a perfect world, he's actually your second center, but it is not by any means really a deficit if he's your first-line center. Um, you know, and like you said, like Tortorella is coming in and he's going to have them playing that play for overtime style. He's going to keep it, try to keep it low event and, um, you know, try to play for that overtime point most more nights than not. And so I, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, there is an, a, a shot that the Islanders might end up being the worst team in this division. I think it's probably between the Islanders and Philly. Um, but Columbus doesn't have a first-line center. Like, mm-hmm. at, right now, it might be Jack Roslevic, who I like, but he's not a first-line center. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and maybe they're going to move Cole Perfetti into that, but, like, I don't know that you want to do that to him right off the bat. And, and they're, they're largely like, the what? same as last year, other than Johnny Goodrow. Minus Bjorkstrand. Yeah, so minus Bjorkstrand adding Goodrow, right? So it's like, the, I think adding... could Branson, who I, the deal... I get sorry, but no, yeah. they added good Branson, and I, I do think that's that's worth something. I do think he's going to bring steady, you know, a, a physical steady presence at the bottom of the lineup, right? If he's playing 17, 18 minutes a night, there's a real problem. But if he's only playing fourteen a night, then I think he can be a very good, a very capable third pair defender for that team. Yeah, I, I just think I think there's a a sticker shock in a sense with Johnny Goodrow being added to that team that there is expectations of Columbus to be a lot better and I think they will be but when you add the additions and losses together like losing Bjorkstrand is huge for them that mm-hmm. that's going to be tough to replace and you know obviously adding Johnny Goodrow for sure he's going to make that team better is going to be 115 points there we'll have to see I don't know he's playing on an exceptional line in Calgary where he put up those numbers so that'll be tough right. but he is going to play with line A I think Ken Johnson is going to do well there. Um, he should challenge for the Calder Trophy, so that will help. Uh, and maybe that Ken Johnson having a good year mitigates the loss of Bjorkstrand, so you get kind of the full value of adding Johnny Goodrow. Good Branson will help. You need Merzlikens to have a decent year, an average year, a lot better than he did last year. And some of the young defensemen need to step up, and you know Adam Boquist needs to have a good year. Um, so Wierenski is going to have to lead that blue line um, and and really get things going for them. So they will be better. But I think, again, that, that addition of Johnny Goodrow almost makes it feel like they should do more than, than they probably should be expected of. And I think that's what, what's hard because New Jersey, I think, has made a lot better additions. But not many people are talking about them because they didn't add a Johnny Goodrow. I really like what they did. I think Andre Palat's great. I think John Marino's great. Um, I think Jack Hughes and, and Nico Hischer down the middle is, is exceptional. Alexander Holtz should play this year, and he's looked good in preseason. They've, they've got a lot of depth up front and on the blue line now, and then all of a sudden it just the question mark is can Mackenzie Blackwood and Vitek Vanacek do good enough in net? But I would give New Jersey a, a better chance of finishing higher up in the division than Columbus, but it's that Goodrow addition that I think gets people really hyped up about Columbus. Yeah, I think the thing with Gaudreau and Columbus is what he does is he gives them a guy who has the ability to be special in 15, 20, 30 second bursts. And, and you know, I think more than anything, that's the, the benefit of elite talent, right? Is it, it gives you an outsized 
ability to be special for 20, 30, 40 seconds in a game, you know, I, I think it's more than fair to say Gaudreau probably doesn't hit 100 points. If he does, then I think Line probably wins the Rocket Richard. Yeah. I think those two things almost have to go hand in hand. Um, but I, I do think there's a world in which they have the best power play or one of the handful of best power plays in the league, yep. you know, spurred by Wierenski and Gaudreau and Line A and Jacob Voracek, who had like three goals last year, but like 80 points or something absurd. Yeah, Ken Johnson could um, be on there. Adam Boquist could be on there. So they, they have Cole options. Yeah. Like they'll have a couple of guys. Jake Bean's a nice player for, a, you know, a second power play maybe. Yeah, um, they got depth. They got Nyquist as well, who's there. So I, I think Jesper Brad. Yeah, oh no, whoops! I'm looking at you're looking at New Jersey. Yeah, I'm looking at New Jersey. But yeah, yeah. but even like Roslich, who you mentioned before. So they they have players. They have they're a good team. They're better than they were last year in a sense. Um, but again, I think I think and it's it's for a good reason. Like adding Johnny Gaudreau is not a small thing. You add a star player that makes you a, you know a better team, and like you said, you now have a guy who can win you a game in thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. But I think there are teams like with the losses they had. I think there are teams like New Jersey that added more but don't get enough credit because they didn't add the Johnny Goodrow, right? They didn't add the the superstar player. They built more pieces together to fill out the rest of the roster, where I think they're a better team, but. Yes, Columbus adding Johnny Goodrow is the big addition of this entire division. Like it's it's the top move of, of pretty much anybody in the offseason, let alone the Metro. Yeah, I I, I think um, they'll be fun teams to watch. You know, that's there's no doubt yeah, about it. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think to your point, not only did the Devils made te- made moves that raised the floor more than anything, but they did them at the draft. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to just have recency bias. And we love Andre Palat. I know Ducks fans were super excited about the chance, the opportunity maybe for Verbeek to bring him to Anaheim to kind of play a veteran presence. But, like, I think he's going to be great for them in, uh, in New Jersey. He's a really good player. He plays a really hard game. Um, you know, like uh, John Cooper said a bunch of times last year, the thing that makes him special is, is he plays a blue-collar game with white-collar players. You know, he's a guy that can – maybe play with Hughes or Heischer and really help insulate them and take their game to the next level. Uh, like you said, John Marino's great. I think you could maybe argue that the only big addition that from an impact potential could beat the Goodrow signing would be the Burns trade. Carolina adding yeah. a guy who should, hopefully, they are expecting – to be a difference maker from the back end and help generate offense because this team has been very good, uh, but they have struggled to score goals once they've gotten into the postseason. I think Rod Brindamore is one of the five best coaches in the league, and I have all the faith in the world in him to get the most out of this team. But, you know, I think if they're not scoring goals, there's a limit on how far Freddie Anderson can take you, and I just think it's easier, as dumb as it sounds, like I do think it's easier to try to find ways to get those extra goals as opposed to trying to make a good team, a really good team like that much better defensively. Cause I just don't know how much better they can be. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think Brent Burns, um, it adds something they haven't had 
to that blue line. I mean, Dougie Hamilton did kind of bring that, but I think what you get with Brent Burns is a, a kind of a pure focus, and, and you know what you're going to get from him offensively. Um, you know, Trocek's a big loss for them, but I think they have the guys mm-hmm. in that lineup. Like, I think Kotkaniemi can take a step forward and maybe be that guy this year. Uh, I mean, they're they're certainly paying him to be that guy. I know he's not making the whatever the seven he did off the the uh, the what was it the offer sheet, but he's still making four point eight, so he has to be that guy. I think Trocek's making less than that with New York, so you got to hope that Kotkaniemi yeah. is that guy. Uh, the real difference maker, I think, for them this year is going to be Seth Jarvis. I think a full season of Seth Jarvis after he posted forty points in sixty eight games. He looks like he's going to play with Aho and Teravainen or Aho and Svechnikov, so he's going to have a great opportunity to uh, really contribute there. That that's going to be a difference maker in their offense for the forward group, I think, because everything else is largely the same. You're going to have a second line now, I guess, of, of Kakeniemi, Nechas, and one of either Teravainen or Svechnikov, whoever's not playing on that top line. So Jarvis will be the difference maker up front, but then yeah, Brent Burns is is the real superstar edition. You can still call him that. I mean, yeah, he's 37 now. But can you? Can you? Can you? I don't know. I, th- I think to this team he is. I mean, he put up 54 points last year at 36 years old. And that's that's not something to, you know, shy away from as a, as a defenseman. You have to look at that. He played 26 minutes a night. He's going to be the big guy for this. And I think him playing with Jacob Slavin is going to be what do That's the thing to me yeah. that, is, that is really the specialty here is you know prime Vlasic and Burns right like it's that's exactly right you're gonna get somebody to help him recreate that dynamic and I do think he's going to be under a coach in a system that is going to really allow him to maybe try to refine some of that form you know maybe get another defenseman I, I think Kale McCarr hit it last year uh, but we might get another defenseman to hit 20 goals again this year. That would be fun. Yeah. That would be great. I, I can't stand Brett Burns, but I'm here for goals. Don't forget um, they have Max Patch ready. Mm-hmm. He's going to be out for about six months. I don't think he's expected to come back until late January, early February. Yeah. He, But he is – he's the playoff thing. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I, I did too until I was looking at Cat Friendly, and I, I saw his name on the IR, and I remember they have him. Like, that's – that's huge, right there. Is if things aren't going, if you know, if things don't turn out well for Terbinen or Netchas, or God forbid, Jarvis doesn't pan out, you've got a guy who steps right in without moving anything. Right, and the other thing is, is if those guys are able to kind of take a step forward, even if it's not as big a step as you maybe hope, bringing in a guy like Pacioretty and having those guys to to really. Um, insulate your your depth or not insulate but like invigorate your depth and add a little bit more scoring punch to you know the second and third lines real quick the thing with with carolina that i wanted to ask you does this come down to kotkaniemi and svetch this year of being the players that have to take a step forward because I don't know how much better sebastian help can play he's been great yeah i i I would even argue that like i don't know how much better uh, Svechnikov has to get in in a sense. Like, uh, I mean, he had an exception. In the regular season, I think that's fair. But I do yes. think yeah. in that in the playoffs, he's got – I think he did pretty well last uh, this last playoffs. I think he put like up six or seven goals maybe in the first two rounds. But I, 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 I do think he is going to need to be a consistent goal scorer for this team yeah. if they're going to have a chance to 
you know, really be the team they want to be. His pl- uh, regular season numbers are going to have to be close to the same. He's going to have to be close to a point per game in the playoffs as well as the regular season for them to do well because Ajo has shown he can do it in the regular season and in, in the playoffs. Um, Tara Vinen as well is he's a key part to this offense. He did good. I think he'll can, he kind of just one of those consistent guys who does well no matter what. Um, but, yeah, I think Kotkaniemi is really going to have to take a step forward with the loss of Trocek. And Martin Echas uh, is going to have to get back to what they wanted from him. He was on the trade block this year, presumably be, um, from what we heard from the rumors. And, you know, things didn't materialize. They wanted a lot for him. So he's still there. He's still an exceptionally good player. He's young. Um, and he's going to have to get things going for them and, and really show he can be a quality second-line NHL. Or otherwise, he could be the guy eventually that slides down in the lineup when Pacioretty comes back if he can't prove that he can stick it up there. But, I mean, he's shown us on occasion in, in the season before the last um, that he can be a really good player in the National Hockey League. He just has to do it again. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, I mean, really, other than the Rangers, which we're going to get to, the only team we haven't really hit on is Pittsburgh. I, I don't know what to do with this team, you know. Um I think that they're still good. I do think losing Marino is going to hurt. I do think Matheson was good for them. Um, I don't know that they're going to be particularly worried about losing him per se, but I do think there's something to be said for having a guy you know has been pretty consistent in the one or two years that he was there. Um, But they did bring in Jeff Petrie. I know you like that. Um, I mean, does the regular season even fucking matter in Pittsburgh other than making the playoffs? Not really, and, and you know what? They'll find a way because they always do. Um, the top line of Gensel, Crosby, Rust, you know, is reliable. I think bringing Malkin back and having Raquel to play with Malkin is that's going to be good for the both of them. I, I think I think mm-hmm. bringing Raquel back for what you signed him for, and then not being able to sign Malkin would have been a huge detriment to this team because we know Ricard Raquel. I mean, you, he needs somebody to play with that is going you know a player like Genie Malkin that's gonna. Uh, help create space for him and set up plays. So I think that's big for them. And and the rest of the lineup is okay. You know, Jeff Carter, Brock McGinn, Jason Zucker, and all the guys that Pittsburgh randomly finds off the street that end up playing for this team. Like, you know, guys, the, the amount of undrafted guys that cycle through this team um, is unbelievable. So they'll, they'll find a way. I like Jeff Petrie. I think he kind of gives you, in a sense, uh, what John Marino did. I like John Marino better as a player, but you're, it's not a major drop-off, all things considered. I do like the sneaky addition of Ty Smith. He's not listed on the roster on Cap Friendly, but I think he'll play over somebody like Ian Ruta. Marcus Pedersen's still pretty good. And then Dublin and Latang, you know what you're going to get from them. So there's one of those teams that they're consistently in the mix. I don't think they'll be in the top tier with the Rangers and, and the Hurricanes, but if I had to pick any other team from this division other than those two to bet money on to make the playoffs, it would be Pittsburgh because they, they just find a way. they got a great coach. They've got one of the best players and leaders in hockey. Um, they'll find a way. And they and they have the track record, right, of, of pretty much making it every year. So I, I think they'll be fine. All right. So I'm going to give you a softball. Not not a softball, but a, a much simpler question than the one I'm going to follow it up with. And then we're going to get into the Rangers. Okay. Do you think Ethan Bear gets traded this season? Yeah, I, I could see it. Um, I, think, I, mean, you know, I think he makes the starting roster and he plays a lot of games for, for the Hurricanes. But um, I don't think those trade rumors are going to go away. And I think the Hurricanes have enough depth that if things aren't going well, if he's not playing well, if they get the right offer, I think they're open to it. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I do expect him to move this year. I think especially with bringing in uh, uh, Burns and already they have They brought uh, in Dylan Coughlin, too, who's played, he played yeah. really good today in preseason. They get three assists, so uh, he's looking good. So I think, yeah, I think they'll have enough guys to to make that trade possible if, if the right deal comes along. All right, now comes the shitty question, and then we'll get to the Rangers. Eddie, does Matt Barzal get traded this year? Oh. That that's a that's a tough one. Um, I can't I can't see a world where it makes sense for them to move on from Matt Brazell. Um, he's only what twenty five, but he's a pending RFA. It's a trick. You know, we could they could be put into a situation similar to Matthew Kachuk, where you know, things aren't just working well, and he wants to change the scenery because you know, like we said, they could be the worst team in this division. They don't have any you know young guys stepping into the lineup that are going to make a difference. They were trying to get good draw. It didn't happen. Um, and they're just not really a great team on paper. So I think if things go really, really bad this year, there's going to be a conversation at the deadline. Um, and they don't have to make that move at the deadline. We've, we saw that with Kachuk. But there will be a conversation, I think, where we'll see his name pop up if they're near the bottom of this division as as a guy who's picking up trade, uh, trade interest and that the Islanders are listening. So I think he ultimately is on the Islanders at the end of the season. But when we get to the draft and, and free agency, that's a whole other question. I think I would feel more... Let me say this way. I think him getting traded would be a bit more realistic to me if Lamarillo wasn't the GM. I don't see Lou yeah. trading the best player on the team. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I mean, he's 700 years old. Like, he's really, you know, he's in that Berkey spot now where he's pretty much just in it for chips. And we know that he's stubborn. We know that, you know, he has no problem making tough calls or taking a hard line with players, with coaches, with whatever it is. I mean, shit, he fired Barry Trotz and refused to explain himself. Now, through, you know, guys like Frege and LeBron and, and what do you call it? I can't I think of his name. Saravalli and stuff. Some of it's kind of come out that it seems like part of that was they were afraid of losing Lane Lambert, who they did make the new head coach. But still, I mean, we saw teams embarrass themselves this summer trying to get Barry Trotz in the door. So I, I don't think you can obviously say it's not a serious thing that Lamarillo was willing to walk away from. You know, I think who a lot of people might say is the best coach in hockey right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I, I mean, if, if I see him go, um, played his junior hockey in Seattle, I could see an interesting fit there. I don't think, I don't think this is a trade that ends up happening. But if you were either team, who says no to uh, a Shane Wright for Matt Barzell type situation? Obviously, other things included, but oh fuck, man, I. He's not from Seattle, Seattle, but he played. He played four years yeah, with the Thunderbirds. With the so, Thunderbirds, yeah. you could talk me into Seattle saying no because I really like the pipe dream of twelve years of Wright and Veneers playing together, yeah. or you know, being the the two main forwards on that team plus whoever else they're able to build and bring along. Um, that being said, they did just pay Burakovsky. They are paying uh, Grubauer. Uh, what's his name? Larson's making a bit of uh, – Adam Larson's making some money. Yanni Gord is making some money. There is something to be said that having a, a legitimate 
top line difference making player like Matt Barzal, who is only 25, who you should be able to afford to keep, makes more sense. And then you're like, okay, now we hope Beneers is able to really step in and, and fill that, you know, high end second line center role. Yeah. And we've already got the guy in front of him to take care of it instead of hoping two of these guys plan out. So I, that's a good one. I was actually going to ask you, is there anywhere you think he can go? And I, I, that's a great one. Yeah, and I think the, I think a realistic trade, um, Lou will look at what Calgary did with Kachuk. Because uh, I, 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 I think you're right. I can't see him trading him and rebuilding. I, I, it just doesn't feel like a Lou move uh, with <laughs> all the other guys that they have there, the money that they're paying guys like Anders Lee. So there could be a situation where if Barzell is moved, it's for a like for like, you know, in almost a hockey trade in a sense, right? Where Kachuk was moved for Huberto, that type of thing, not at the same level because Barzell's not at that level, but a, you know, a similar thing, like maybe things go bad for Pedersen in Vancouver and it's a swap or something like that. You know, again, I'm making arbitrary connections here with Barzell being from British Columbia, but you know who the other one actually I think would also almost be a better one other than Pedersen is Horvat. Yeah. Apparently those conversations are not getting anywhere right now on that extension. And, you know, if if you have to trade a Bo Horvat, you can do a lot worse than getting the Matt Barzell back. And in terms of both teams, you're still basically in the same position with mm-hmm. we still have to sign this guy this summer. Um you know, so uh, that's that seems like one of those trades where it's positive and negative for both sides almost equally. Yeah, yeah, that that's probably the likely situation I see if Barzell's moved. It's for somebody to come in and and for the Islanders yeah. to still be competitive, <laughs> even though they're they're probably not going to be. But it it'd be a situation where they're bad this year. Lou thinks okay, we can get a you know a Bedard, and you know move out Barzell bring in Horvat and run with that or something. Right. Yeah. So I, I could, I could see yeah. that being something that, uh, that ends up happening. Yeah. It'll, it'll be an interesting call. It all depends really on Barzell if he wants to stay with the Islanders or not. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And uh, I mean, you have to imagine that, uh, Islanders ownership is going to insist that everything be done to keep this guy yeah. For as long as possible, uh, they just lost because Tavares. you can't have him and Tavares walk. I, you know, I, I bet you there's part. a picture of Barzell with uh, Vancouver Canucks pajamas out there somewhere. So, yeah, and uh, and uh, one of the ships from uh, the Force Awakens in the background. <laughs> so, all right, well, I guess we can get to the meat of it. Um, let me ask you this, Edward: What was your what is your main takeaway? from last season in New York for the Rangers that you think is the is incredibly relevant to the season to come. Um, I, I think they just they finally proved themselves as contenders, uh, not in just the regular season, but built well into the playoffs and how far they went. Um We've said, you know, for a while since their rebuild was announced and then they won the few draft lotteries they got Panera they, you know, they they brought in a bunch of these guys. Uh, they, you know, Adam Fox kind of ascended to superstar status. That, all right, you have the pieces. You've got to prove it. And I think they took that step forward there and and really showed, okay, like this is a team that could dethrone, you know, the Lightning as the top team in the Eastern Conference. I think that's 
that's what they showed last year. And not only that, they've got these young players in Lafreniere and Kako that you're you're waiting for to pop off so that they could they could get even better this year when one of these guys breaks out inevitably, uh, being you know former first and second overall pick. So I. I think they really showed what they're about and what they can be. And then obviously, man, like Igor Shosturkin is just uh, from another planet. I didn't think anybody would ever get close to Vasilevsky um, this soon. And he's come in and lived up to all the hype that he had coming over from Russia. Um, I don't know what they do with these, these Russian goalies, but these guys are, are a different breed with Vasilevsky and Shosturkin. And Sorokin was great last year, and you've still got um, – Who's the guy that the uh, the Predators drafted? I can't remember his name now. Askarov. Askarov. You still got him coming over. And if the track record checks, then he's going to come over and do just as well as these guys. So, Yeah, according to um, Brian Baston, who, who writes about them for uh, on the forecheck, uh, the SB Nation blog, and uh, covers the team, like he uh, he said Askarov has looked really confident. He's looked really comfortable, and he's looked really strong. So that's you're 100 right there seems to be this this pretty you know i mean and you can honestly you can take it back to varlamov and you know there seems to be a pretty steady presence of you know high-end russian goaltenders over the last 20 30 years like 20 years i guess um so yeah i mean i think for me and i you know i hate to be this guy but like i am trying to figure out what happens with Chris Kreider. Yeah. I just, he's not going to score 52 goals again. He'd never hit in 30 before last year. I don't know what happens. If he takes a step back and Lafreniere and Kako and Chittle can't take a step forward, I don't know what this team is. They have a star at every level. I love Adam Fox. I love Artemi Panarin. Obviously, Igor Shosturkin is special. But as much as I think Zabinijad Trocek is a good one-two, they don't have a ton of special offensive players if those two young guys can't take a step forward. And I think for me, that's kind of, the big question moving forward is what can they get out of those guys, if anything, because to me, that's what's going to put a cap on their season. Because I just don't think, like, do you feel comfortable saying Chris Kyder hits 30 next year? Yeah, I, I think I think he's, he's going to play with either Zabinijad or, or Panarin. Um, uh, right now they're split up, but whether they get put together or not, um, he'll play with one mm-hmm. of those guys. They, based off the season he had last year, you know he will. So I, th- I think he could hit 30. I think he's talented enough to hit 30. I think this team is good enough now for him to be a 30-goal scorer. But, yeah, I agree. There's, there's no chance, or I'm not going to say there's no chance, but there's a slim chance in my mind that he hits 52 again or 50-plus uh, this upcoming season. And... You know, I like the addition of Trocheck, but it's not really an addition as so much it's a replacement for Ryan Strom. You know, you're going to get kind of the same offensive output that Strom did in Trocheck. So, yeah, I mean, it does come down to if Kreider has a decrease in his goal scoring from 50 to 30, who's making up for that? And that all falls on the young guys Kraftsov, Lafreniere, Heedle, Kako. That's where it's got to come from, is those guys. Yeah, I you know, uh, it's weird because I, I think this team has a lot of like I love Keandre Miller, I like Jacob Truba, 
you know, there are parts of this team, you know, you can do worse for an overpaid third liner than Barkley Gaudreau, right? Yeah. He's, he's not a bad player. And it's so weird because they have the guys, right, where you're like, you know, there's no question about which guys are going to be the guys to take that leap forward if they do it right. Like, it's not like there's like six guys who are like B level prospects. Yeah. It's, there's like two or three very clear a level prospects, depending on how you still feel about a Kako who they're the guys. Like if this is going to work, it's going to be with them. And it's just, just about whether or not they can make it happen. And, you know, I'm I'm really curious to see. I, I you know I I think Gallant is a good coach, and I think him having a for real for real goaltender in Shesterkin is going to be incredibly helpful uh, because I don't think he ever had Laner. Right, Laner was only there under DeBoer. Yeah. So you know, I mean, as as well as flower played and as much as you know he's somebody it's very easy to root for you want to see do well shesterkin's a better goalie than flower and i think it is more than fair to say that even taking into account flower winning a vezina winning you know multiple stanley cups like shesterkin's a better goalie than flower ever was yeah you know what i mean so i if there is a, a silver lining here for Gerard Gallant and him not to kind of wear wear out his welcome kind of as he did in, in Vegas and Florida, it's that he has a barely legit goaltender. Do you think Shesterkin can repeat as the Vezina? Yeah, I think he's got uh, you know a better chance of, of anybody in this league. I, I think it, you know the the two front runners and guys you basically no, if you're betting, you want to you know, make a bet right now, and the betting favorites to be in that conversation are Vasilev, Chishisterkin, and then it's wide open for whoever else has a good year, right? Guys like Soros or Freddie, um, or you know anybody else really who has a good year will fall into that mix. But Chishisterkin and, and Vasilevsky are really the only two guys in this league that you can say are consistently going to be good and have the track record to prove that. I know Vasilevsky's been around for a little bit longer, so you'd give maybe a little bit more, you know leeway to him to have a good year especially the way he bounced back after the the start he had um but yeah i i think shesterkin can be the same as he was last year which is insane to say considering he finished the year with what like a 935 save percentage so i don't because we had the technical difficulties i don't know if you went and saw the doc but i had been holding to ask you a couple of questions about yeah I, i haven't seen it so so he finished the se- How many wins do you think Shesterkin had? Just off the top of your head, guess. I know he's out for a bit, so... 38? 36. He went 36, 13, and 4. His save percentage was 99, 34, like you said. Do you want to take a guess at what his goals saved above average was? God. It's got to be double digits. Um, I'm trying to remember Gibson's in the year that he was unbelievable. It was around 12, I think. It's got 14 or 15? 
No, sir. Higher? 42.46. Jesus. Goals saved above average, 42.46 goals. What do you think his goal saved above expected was, knowing that his above average was 42 and a half? This could be close. 30 in the 30s? Mm-hmm. 30. 37-2. Yes. Dude, like. That's unbelievable. It is insane to me that he put up that good of a season, and like you said, he is not the guy you're worried about regressing. Yeah. Like, if he regresses, it'll be bounces. It'll be the team in front of him. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I thought was was kind of ridiculous is they overperformed their expected goals per 60 numbers. And they were not a very good team. Like, their expected goals for percentage was 47.65 as a team. They were under 50. Like, that's insane. Yeah, for the talent that they had, or that they do have. They overperformed, they overscored, they got goals for per 60 was 2.35. Their expected goals for per 60 was 2.26. Goals against was 2.2. Expected goals against was 2.5. A third of a goal better defensively than expected based on the quality of shot. I like it is in. There are a lot of good players on this team. Yeah. There, are, there are a lot of reasons that this could be a first round exit team. Right? That could get in, get home field, like get home ice and. Yeah. Like, if they lost to Tampa Bay, would it surprise you? No. If they lost to... Like, what if Toronto is a wild card team? Yeah, I could, right? I could see it, right? Like, they're they're good, but there, there are there are deficiencies where they're not... They're not at that level, and not many teams can be in the NHL where you're like, they can beat anybody, and I, I would bet money that they beat anybody, and I'd be confident with them beating anybody. There, there are t- enough teams with talent that I could say would give them a run for their money and if things go bad I could see them losing so you know Toronto's one uh, Tampa Bay's another I think you know a healthy Boston could be one um, you know Florida they're still built pretty well right Carolina so I think there yeah there are teams that that you could still say are in that category of being just as good as the Rangers Like, again, like, this is the thing – this is the thing that's so weird to me because I want to ask you, like, do do they have to be all in right now? But, like, based on some of the contracts that are on the books, they almost have to be. Like, I almost don't think they have a choice, yep. right? Kreider's making money. Truba's making money. Um you know, and and those young guys are going to need extensions sooner than later. And yeah, that's the big know. thing is it's not even that you know their contracts are up you know a couple of years from now. Like the, all, almost all these guys except Kako have a extension due next year. So Heedle is a uh, sorry, no, he, yeah, Heedle's a pending RFA. Uh, you know, Ryan Reeves is a pending UFA. Alexis Lafreniere is a pending RFA. Um, Zach Jones is a pending RFA. Keandre Miller is a pending RFA. Uh, high X, the pending RFA, and then two years from now, Schneider and Kako 
are pending RFA. So all these guys are going to have to get contracts. This is a team right now that doesn't have any significant money coming off the books next year. They have a million dollars in cap space, and they have to sign some significant players. So what if Lafreniere pops off this year and goes for 60, 70 points? How do you pay this guy? Where does the money come from at this point? Like this is when you look at teams that are built to win now, we talk about all the time you gotta win when your young guys are on ELCs. If you really want a good chance of winning, that's when you can build your best or team. on a bridge deal yeah, or something. Yeah. This yeah. is the time to do it because you've got to re-sign all these guys at the end of the year. And for them to win this year, they need Alexis Lafreniere, they need Heedle, they need Kako, they need Schneider, all these guys to step up, Keandre Miller. They all need to play well. They all need to take a step forward. That's the only way they're going to win. And if they do that, well, guess what? You're going to pay these guys next year because they had great years. So this is mm-hmm. this is as win now as it gets with the cap situation they have, the long the, the money they have locked up for for long term for most of their core players, and, and the pending contracts that they're going to have to sign at the end of this year. This is a team. Um, I'm sure that's drilled in. Like the, you could, they got to win this year because this group won't be together the same way next year. Yeah, I mean. You know, like again, I'm I'm looking at our little cheat sheet that we have, and one of the things that's interesting is like Chris Kreider actually led the team in expected GAR, which is like not nothing, right? Because again, as much as it is more than fair to say for a guy who never hit 30 goals before, uh, the fact that he hit 52 is clearly unsustainable. If you know. If those expected goals numbers aren't misleading in some way based on, you know, shot generation and kind of the ways in which he was generating those opportunities, then, you know, maybe he drops to 35-ish goals. But if the team around him improves, you know, again, this is a team that had under 50% expected goals percentage. Like, it's so weird because there is a version of this team that is the next big step forward and is one of the next real big teams to be afraid of in the East. There's also a version of this team that's like pretty good, like really good in the regular season, but not much more than that. Like, like the difference between them and the Florida Panthers right now is one of those teams went to the Eastern conference final. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of ways, I don't think they're, entirely different as far as they have clear talent and they also clearly haven't actually proved themselves yeah uh, let me to whatever extent you want to feel about that right because again Kreider scored 50 goals the young guys haven't taken a step forward so those two things could certainly meet in the middle and if that's the case then i think they're definitely ahead of florida in the east but I don't know that that's something you can obviously take for granted. No, and and I I do think there is no favorite front runner. I think there's a mix of teams. I think Carolina. I think the Rangers. I think Florida. I think Tampa. And I think you could potentially even push Toronto into that mix of all teams that have the potential to be the best team in in this division. But they all have some deficiencies in some areas. And in the division or in the conference? Uh, sorry, in the conference. Um, and they've got some deficiencies in some areas and some ifs that. Okay, if this happens, they you know they could have a really good year. But there's you know, again with the Rangers top of the young guys stepping up. Toronto, it's the goaltending. Uh, in in Florida, it's you know how do the new guys come in? How do you cope with the loss of Huberto? What's going to happen with Bobrovsky and Knight, and so on? With every team, there's always some deficiencies here. If things are going to go well, um, there is no 
you know, is, is, is Tampa still, you know, they're still as good as they always have been, but they're not at that level where they were for a few years where you're like, okay, they're the clear best team in this division and nobody's even close. They've, they've fallen off a bit because you have to, again, you have to sign certain players, there's turnover in the team, and they've gotten to a point where I think they are still definitely in the mix of one of the best teams, but they're not the clear favorite. I think I don't think anybody is, but the Rangers are definitely in that mix as one of those teams that could, and it's it just if these things go right for them or not. Do you think Brennan Othman makes the team out of camp? Or do you think he's another year in juniors? I think he's another year in juniors. From what I've heard, I, I think he's looked pretty good. Um, I struggle. Because he played pretty well last year in juniors. Right? Yes. Like, he was one of the better forwards in, in the whole CHL. He's in that weird leeway territory where you say, okay, you can send him back and he's not going to really do much better. He can't really do much better than he did the last year. But you mm-hmm. don't know if he's 100% ready yet. Um, he reminds me of you know a Pedersen or a Kent Johnson and a really kind of tall, lanky kid. So I and I just I don't see a clear path for him in this lineup yet. I think there are a lot of guys already in the roster that are going to have lockdown positions. A lot of young players who are going to play. They they have some some depth in the AHL. They brought in guys like Jimmy VC. That would be kind of first call up. So. Maybe he gets a game or two, or you know, in that nine-game trial. But ultimately, I think he ends up getting sent back unless he just plays again, unless he plays his way onto the roster. But uh, as good as he's looked, I think another year in junior is probably what ends up for Brendan Othman. Yeah, I also wonder if just kicking, you know, that ELC another year down the road with all these kids who are going to be needing extensions. Yeah. I wonder if it's not even worth taking the risk, right? Keep him around for as long as you can in camp and preseason and then just get his ass back down to juniors, let him run wild and, and hope that, you know, the way that this year ends, you feel excited about bringing him up as opposed to feeling like, oh, God, we really got to get this guy in the door. Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably the case. And with him not being an RFA right now, if you don't touch that contract until 2025, that's probably the best case scenario for them because you you face a world where maybe you have to move on from a capo caco or you have to move on from a heedle and having brennan othman kind of in place to be on an elc and kind of make up for that i think is is very beneficial that extra year is is extremely important for them because that when this window will close fairly quickly right with trooper being 28 um, you know, the, the, is what 30, Kreider's 31, Zibinijad's 29, Trochek's 29. So you've got four or five years. So having Yothman with that extra year of ELC, I think, is extremely valuable to them. And it's not a shock if you send him back to the OHL, right? So I, th- I think, uh, I think that's ultimately the play and probably the best play for both him and for both the team and probably for the player as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, Real quick, just, you know, uh, it's kind of something that we're we're kind of talking around in a, in a weird way. Um, again, this is a weird team because they do have guys on big contracts. They also have, by Pronman's ranking, the ninth best prospect pool. There are a lot of guys in this like, right? You still have Braden Schneider who can clear, who could, he has so much more room to improve. Yeah. You've got Kako, you've got Lafreniere, you've got... Othman. You've still got Keandre Miller, who is turning into an incredibly nice defenseman. Um, you know, he's a good skater. He's got good size. Like, he, he, he uses his stick incredibly well, kind of cutting guys off. Um, and, like, 
I, I'm going to ask you, I guess, similar to how uh, we we did it with Dallas. Like, do you think this is a team that needs to start looking to leverage their prospect pool into bringing in difference makers, whether that is by trading some of them uh, or trading picks because they they have the confidence that they have the guys already in house to replace. I, I don't know, like to basically like they have a prospect pool which it should be strong enough to be willing to move on from some of their early round picks. Yeah. Do you think they're in a position to where they should do that, or do you think they should sit and try to hold off as long as possible? I think they're in a position where they, they should start moving picks over prospects because the the mm-hmm. fact that those guys are closer to your roster in the window is, is likely only four to five years that you want to get them in and kind of cycle through these guys as much as you can and keep the roster fresh. Um, but again, you, you, you they, they did make a move in a sense of, of moving Lundqvist out and bringing in that first round pick from the Stars, so they got an extra first round pick this year to work with um, their own and now Dallas is so that gives you some leverage to make you know potentially two fr- uh, roster defining moves at the deadline or before the deadline to, to bring in some additions here the only problem that they're going to run into is the cap space that they have it's going to make it tough just to do deals with picks um, they're going to have to get creative, only having about a million now and apparently around $4 million at the deadline. That's not a ton to work with to bring in some difference makers. But that could be where you know you see if Kako, things are going well with Kako, that he gets moved up and that free, gets moved out, and that frees out about $2 million. Uh, you know, There's not a lot of leverage for them to move a ton of guys off this roster, but I, I definitely think they're in that, that territory to answer the question to... Uh, to kind of start moving on from some picks, uh, prospects. I, w- I wouldn't touch your top end prospects at this point. I think you need those guys in the pipeline that are one or two years away from making the team. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. I think uh, you know, for me, I, I think I would really start. I don't like. I would make a list of guys around the league that I'm curious of, like if Dallas. Flails, I'm calling on Pavelski. Mm-hmm. Like he's exactly the guy to me, right? That if if he holds up, right? And again, I don't think anybody expects him to hit 81 points like he did last year, uh, career high. But if he's still clearly a guy who's able to be effective at both ends and create offense for others, and you know, that's a guy that you give up Kako for, in my opinion. Yeah, you could see him in a Rangers jersey too, can't you? Mm-hmm. I, I do is this this season is going to end up with me having to fucking like the Rangers so much and I'm going to be so annoyed about it. Um but like that was kind of what I wanted to ask you like would you what quality of player do you need to move on from a Lafreniere or a Kako or you know I mean shit even like I have a hard time thinking they're gonna do it, but like maybe you could get, you know, a player like um, Othman or maybe Keandre Miller out of there. Like it, it would take something, it would take a lot. But like, what is the quality of player at which point you're not hanging up for like Lafreniere? Yeah, I, I think I think Lafreniere has a little bit more leeway in the sense that if he's doing bad, he's pending RFA at the end of this year. He's on an entry level. You can work a bridge mm-hmm. deal in there, you know, a, a Troy Terry type deal or something like that, where he's making like one point five for a few years. That you can you can see how you can bring him back and give him a bit more time to get things going. 
with Kako, the thing is, because he's already making uh, 2.1 right now, he becomes one of the easier players to move out if things aren't going well and get some cap relief because like you're not moving the big four and Panarin, Zabinijad, Kreider, Trocek. You're likely not going to be able to move out Goodrow with the modified no-trade clause in five years at almost $4 million, and he's probably a guy you want to keep around. So it, it really does come down to, in the forward group, um, Hedl or Kako on who you want to move from. And Kako's got a couple of years left where Hedl is a pending RFA at the end of this year. So again, similar situation to Lafreniere with him. If things aren't going well, you can just negotiate a, a you know lesser deal next year and work that into your cap structure. So I think Kako is the one that you're you're willing to listen to calls on because if things are going bad with him, then you can maybe convince yourself saying, okay, like, listen, this isn't working out. He's the easiest easiest guy we can move out the door it does give us some cap relief and we can get a really good player like you can you can make Pavelski work at that point right where if it's Pavelski at 50% retained that's only about three and a half million you add in Kako relief of 2.1 like this then he's he's only cost you just over a million dollars to bring in a guy like that who's going to impact your roster now and with Mm -hmm. you being as win now as the Rangers are going to be this year those are the types of moves that I think make sense to move out a guy like Kako because the hope is Capo Caco becomes a 50 to 60 point player this year and he's only he's only making 2.1 so you don't really have to go out and make right. that move. But if he's not then you need to move him out for somebody that can do that for you now because they need they need to win now. They have to with the players that they have and the contracts they have upcoming and everything we've already mentioned here. So I think he's the easiest one to move. I think all the other guys like Heedle's maybe second on this list. I think Lafreniere is going to be very hard. I think Keandre Miller is going to be even more difficult because they don't have a ton of depth on the left side of defense. It's it's Truba Fox on the right, and I was going to say I almost I was going to ask I almost wonder if it's easier to get Schneider out of there than Keandre Miller. Yeah, I think so. I think the Rangers Schneider's tough just because he has two years left of ELC, so that's really enticing for them to have him at next year at nine hundred twenty five k. But I think mm-hmm. you know Zach Jones, you could get out of there, um, and then I think you know. That's when maybe you start looking at Brandon Othman, but that is, again, a tough call because of the flexibility you have with him. So you dip down below Brandon Othman being kind of your top prospect out of the NHL, and maybe you can get, you know, a Will Cooley or you can get an Adam Secor who they draft, draft, drafted or, or Vitaly Kravtsov or something like that uh, where you can kind of go out and grab one of those guys who's not the top prospect but you know one of the better prospects they have in their system. But if yeah, if we're talking high end, high end players, Kapokak was probably the guy, and it really only happens if he's not having a good year. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I it really is a, a break glass in case of emergency thing with moving on from some of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, you know, Kevin LeBanc, Timo Meyer. Like, I wonder if those are guys that you know they could go out and kind of bring in. Yeah. I think LeBanc's a little bit harder because, you know, his cap hit is lower, but he's got another year. I think you could very easily get one or two teams to retain on Timo Meyer and drop his $6 million to closer to two and a half or something like that. Yeah, and if you're the Sharks, too, like what type of player do you want to get in return for Timo Meyer? I think Capo Caco would be a type of player that you'd be looking to get back. Yeah, if exactly. you can get Caco and, and the Stars' first-round pick and maybe, you know, another prospect here, that's where you start to say, okay, like this makes sense for us to move on from uh, a guy like Timo Meyer, And then again, the, the fact that Capo has 2.1, you talked about all the relief you can kind of free up to bring Meyer's contract down. 
it, it gets very close to being a wash salary wise, which is a deal for a team as tight against the cap like the Rangers are. It's a deal you kind of dream of that you can make happen at the deadline where you can bring this guy in who makes a considerable amount of money, but for this last year of his contract, it's not going to affect you at all. And he'd be a guy that would work exceptionally well there. Um, you know, they need wingers. I think if they're going to add anybody at the deadline, it's going to be wingers because you've got Zabrinajad and Trocek as your definitive one-two centers. Um, it's just that question really on the right side because um, you've got Kreider and Panarin on the left. Who's going to step up and play there? So if Lafreniere doesn't do it, if Kako can't do it, if Kraftsov can't do it, that's where you go out and I think you look at you know, a Pavelski who could play there or a Meyer who could play there and really start looking at the top end for uh, guys who could be available at the deadline. Yeah, man, like Pierre-Luc Dubois would be interesting. Yeah. Man, those no moves fucking kill him because there are interesting players that they could really make. Like Mark Shifley would be a real nice get for them. You know, and there'll be a place where I mean, there always are a place where people want to play, what? but when they're there'll be an attractive place to go at the deadline for sure. I would just real quick like to say that I am sorry for once again saying Cole Perfetti played in Columbus. I did fucking you just, get him and Cole Sillinger. Yeah, did you just? I'm looking at Winnipeg's right now, yeah. and it says Cole Perfetti, and I was like, <laughs> I didn't oh, mention it. I knew what you meant, so I was like, oh, I'm just gonna leave this one. I appreciate you letting me slide on that. <laughs> no, I feel like an idiot right now. Um, but no, it's, it's such a weird situation. I just, they have all these really good, movable, valuable assets and no fucking flexibility. You know, I mean, this summer they're going to have 18 million in cap space, but like you said, they've got the guys already in the system to retain, right? That they, that they need to resign. So maybe if you move on from some of those guys this summer, it's a different situation. Um, but you know, until then, like, I just, I don't know how much really opportunity they're going to have in front of them to make this team meaningfully better over the course of the year. I mean, shit, Igor Shesterkin isn't even making 6 million a year. You have to make the most of that. Like that to me is your rookie contract quarterback, right? Is we have a legit top three goalie in this league making less than six million dollars right now we have to make this work yeah. and i don't i don't know what they're supposed to do i i don't they're gonna have to get creative um i i think they will do well and i think they'll be able to figure it out um i think Cavo caco potentially is not a ranger after the deadline i think they're they're going to potentially get desperate to make some moves if the young guys aren't panning out to add to this team they're gonna have to uh, again like we talked about this with a lot of teams but i think of, of most teams this year when you look at the situation the rangers and for all the reasons we've already mentioned contracts guys who have to sign Igor shesterkin making way less than he you know than he deserves right now um they have to win and they're going to be desperate and that's going to come with big moves at the deadline and guys you know young players that get dealt out the door to bring in some guys who can impact your roster now and uh, they'll be a fun team to watch, man. Like I, I kind of picked the Rangers as a dark horse to win the cup last year. It didn't pan out. I would put them in that mix again this year because I really like the mix of players they have. Um, they've they've mm-hmm. got, as you mentioned, a superstar at each position. And having Panarin, mm-hmm. Fox, Shesterkin, that's one kind of recipe to success, if you want to call it. When you look at the teams mm-hmm. that have won, you look at the Lightning, 
you want to the avalanche maybe not the best example of Kemper not being a superstar level goaltender but he played to that level he played as an elite goaltender in that system with that team but McKinnon he played really well right but that's the thing you say right even with them the reason that they were able to get by with a mid-tier starter is they have multiple superstars at every position right like Devin Taves is really fucking good. Yep. Kale McCarr is incredible. Nathan McKinnon, Rantman. Last year they had Burakovsky. Like, they had guys that really made this team better and – or made that team better. And so, you know, like like you're saying, for for the Rangers, it's much easier to be like, yeah, these are the one, two, three guys. And their depth isn't bad. It's just – the lack of of flexibility if things get weird like short of an LTIR contract right like somebody goes down for the year which you never want but short of that i i just don't see where they get their flexibility from unless yep. they can talk i don't know who would you try? like you can't none of these guys are moved there's just not movable assets, other yeah. than i mean yeah like, Goodrow has a 15-team no-trade list. So, like, you've got 16 teams still, but... It's just not enough relief, you know, in a sense, to... What do you to... do? Yeah, it's $3.5 million. Like, it's not nothing, but it's not... You know, maybe if it's Goodrow and Kako and Reeves, now you're getting around uh, $7.5 million. I, I think like, what you... okay, maybe. I think what you maybe but... hope is, like, Keandre Miller takes another step forward and Zach Jones has a really good year, and then maybe you can move on from Ryan Lindgren with that's three... We sure. talked about Kako is or Heedle as potential options to move out the door to bring in an impact four. So right there, like you can try and free up around five, and almost you're freeing up that five to just bring in other players immediately in uh, in that trade to fill that cap space that just are going to be better players, right? And that you you know you add a mm-hmm. Pavelski up front, you add you know a, a top four left shot defenseman on the back end, and that's your additions, right? And I think that's all they need. Is you need a you know a, a, a legitimate top six winger to come in and play if Lafreniere and Hedl and Kako don't step up, uh, and you potentially need a, another left-handed defenseman uh, to come into the mix, or even you know another forward if you want to go that route. But I think they need two serious additions um, with w- at least one of these rookies. I think for them, preferably Lafreniere, taking a step into you know getting closer to a top six on a consistent basis yeah i it's just it's such a weird weird situation like i don't again like i'm, I'm repeating myself and i hate when i do that but but like i just this feels like a either this works or gerard galan is out because that's the best option that they have mm-hmm. is trying to get a new coach and like I don't know. Maybe they can go get Claude Julien, right? You know, maybe they fire Gallant in December if things get weird and they bring in a guy like Claude Julien who's got a track record. But, you know, I just, again, like I, I really, it's just, I'm looking at this team and it is so remarkable how strong certain parts of this roster are, how they have guys in position. I mean, shit, Adam Fox is 24 years old. Shesterkin is. 26 years old he'll be 27 at the end of december like keandre miller 
Braden Schneider, Jacob Truba, Chris Kreider, who, again, I give a lot of shit. He's a solid dude. He's a solid player. He's a player you You want. Yeah, he's – that contract sucks. I don't think he's a $6.5 million player, but he's a good player who you like having in the organization. You know, the last piece of of the old Rangers that you have left, right? Like he's the guy that's been around. It's him and Zabinijad are the only old guys, the only, you know, classic guys around, you know. McDonough's gone. Girardi's gone. Fucking, like, everybody's gone. So, you know, I mean, maybe that is. Maybe that is the thing for them is if they get off to even a slow start over the first five, six weeks, maybe Kalant's gone. I, I can't imagine yeah. uh, Chris Drury playing that card that quick. But, I again, you know, you only have so many options. And this is a team that you should expect to win games right now. I, I think if you get 20, 30 games in and things are looking real bad, that that's the call you have to make at that point. There's nothing else you can do. And they're in yeah. such a win-now mode for this season specifically. And the window is, is relatively short in three to four years. Um, really until the end of Shesterkin's contract, so this year, next year, and the year after, that you you, you can't you don't have a lot of mulligans to, to make up for it. You can't be like, oh, this season's a write-off, we've got next year. You, you don't have that luxury with the way this team is built right now. So um, I don't see that happening. I think they're they're good enough to, um, to, to be, you know, a team that starts off hot and, and you know, obviously it's just, you know, having a goaltender like Shesterkin is going to make the difference. But, yeah, it will get into a sticky situation if all of a sudden they're not looking too hot after 20 games. Okay, well, after looking like it was going to be a blowout, it's now 4-3 and Josh Lapina scored a goal. Love Josh Lapina. Uh, mostly because his last name means Wolf, and it's funny. Anyways, um, yeah, I mean... So, well, is there a heart winner on this roster to you? Shesterkin. Over Panarin? Yeah, Yeah, I I mean, Panarin probably should have won one already uh, for a couple seasons ago. But, yeah, I I would say Shesterkin is probably number one. Panarin maybe right behind that. And then, you know, a slight nod to Fox as being a potential heart Mm -hmm. winner. But that's going to be – that'll be tough for him to do it. If Yossi didn't get it last – he didn't even get in the close last year, there's no – Yeah, I think there's maybe one defenseman who has the potential to win, and that's Kale McCarr. Um, Outside of that, it's very, very tough to get in that conversation as defenseman. But, you know, Adam Fox has the talent to do it. He would just need an exceptional year. You're talking like 90 points from a defenseman or something around that range. Um, and just really dragging this team to probably the top of the Eastern Conference to be in that discussion. So, uh, and again, like the real thing, the real knock against guys like that is, you know, if he's doing that well and they're top of the Eastern Conference, well, then Shesterkin's playing well and Panarin's playing well, and then you you kind of you nail yourself out of that conversation because everybody else is playing well on that team. He doesn't win it if they don't make the playoffs. And he doesn't win it if they're not playing well. So, and he doesn't win it if they are playing well because you've got them as help in that equation, which usually turns uh, the voters off from from picking a guy like that. So, he, it, damned if you did, damned if you don't. Situation for Adam Fox, but yeah, Shesterkin's just probably the guy that I think is the most likely to. But again, a goaltender winning the heart is just is just as rare. Is there a world in which this team doesn't make the playoffs? 
I don't see it. Uh, I don't I, either. I just That's what I like. I was trying to think good. worst case scenario, and it feels like the worst case scenario is you get swept in the first round. Yeah, I, you know, I just can't see them missing the playoffs. There's just two teams in this division. I say I can't. There's absolutely no way I see them missing the playoffs. It's the Rangers and the Hurricanes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I Pittsburgh's close to that, but I could see things going wrong for the Penguins. I, I, I you know, barring even like an injury to Shesterkin. Okay, like they've got Halak, which is isn't too bad and they're a good enough team in front of him to mitigate that loss for a, you know a decent amount of time to still be a good team um so i you know a loss to panarin if lafreniere can step up if kaku can step up a loss to fox you've still got you know miller truba zach jones you know you've got good enough players that the lo- a loss and like barring a loss to all three of your top players which really never happens right. for an entire season then and that's you know, you can't bet on that. So I, I, I think it, it would be a shock for them not to make the playoffs. Like it would be a full on collapse from everybody on that team. Yeah. Uh, real quick, something I just want to mention that is super fun and super awesome. Uh, with their last pick in the 2022 draft, uh, in the sixth round, 191st overall. The New York Rangers drafted a centerman by the name of Zachary Carpa. Uh, everybody old will know who that, what that means, uh, because yes, he is in fact the son of Dave Carpa, who was a early member of the Mighty Ducks teams, and I'm pretty sure ha- is in the top ten for career penalty minutes with the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, and I just thought that was really cool. And then obviously they've got Sakura, who I don't actually think is related to Peter Sakura, so, but but they just have the same last name, which is yeah. cool. You just know um, that the future trade of Zegers becoming a Ranger means Sakura and Carper are coming back to the Ducks. I hate you. Why would you <laughs> say that? You're such a bastard. Oh, just let's um, never think about that ever. Yeah, I don't really need. To, I don't need to do that. I mean, the other one to say that they kind of it, – it's less of a loss because they only picked him up at the deadline, but he, he was good for them was Andrew Kopp. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, it, it, man, it is so weird. Like, this team has everything you could want it to have, mm-hmm. and yet there is still a world in which things go wrong and this team doesn't make it out of the first round. Yeah, yeah, there, there's uh, – I mean, listen, like, again – you know, Shesterkin can drag you through a first round. Panarin can drag you through a first round, right? So it, it would take a lot for mm-hmm. the things to go wrong. But yeah, they are in that category where you could say, like, yeah, I, you know, depending the matchup, there's good enough teams in both the Metro and the Atlantic that if you don't win your division and you don't get a favorable matchup and you're playing, you know, second best team in the Metro or you're playing a, you know, a good team that dropped into the wild card, somebody like Pittsburgh drops into the wild card and, you know, they just match up well against you in the playoffs. Like, that's that's tough. You know, whether you have home ice or not, I know MSG is not an easy place to go play, but there's a world where, yeah, it just doesn't pan out for them. They don't come out right. They lose the first two games at home, and then all of a sudden you're in an uphill battle and, and you end up losing in the first round. It's like that every year for every team most of the time. You know, Tampa Bay getting swept by Columbus, right? Anybody can, can lose in the first round, but... It would take a lot because, again, I think they have enough guys as superstar talent to drag you through a series at least to, to kind of get there. So it would, it would take a lot of guys falling off for them to, to lose in the first round. 
or just a really unfavorable matchup? Yeah, no, 100%, man. I mean, you know, again, I'm looking at our cheat sheet, and biggest strength, we have goaltending plus youth slash potential talent. They have the potential to be the best team in the league. I I truly believe that if everything goes right. I think that's fair. I I honestly, like, I don't think I would have said that coming into this, but sitting here talking this through with you, looking at where this team is at, you can absolutely see a world in which they win the President's Trophy. And I still don't know that I would take that bet. You know, again, biggest weakness, finishing talent. One big question. Can they get anything out of the kids? And that's like, that's the whole thing. It basically just comes down to are the older guys going to take a step back? Are any of the older guys going to randomly take a step back just because that's what happened as guys get older? There's always, you know, guys who get there a little faster than others as far as the, the downside. Um, and are they going to be able to comp- uh, to compensate for that? Like, here's an interesting thing. In hindsight, and with the full understanding that this is hindsight, do you still take Lafreniere number one? Um, who went number two in that draft? Was it Byfield? Byfield, and three was Stutzla. Yeah, I I think you you still take as going into this year. I still think you take Lafreniere number one. It's really easy to look at the what Tim Stutzla has done in Ottawa and the year he had last year to be like, okay, he's above them right now because it was kind of a, a three horse race in a sense where people were like, oh, maybe Tim Stutzla can go number one, maybe Byfield goes number one. It ultimately was never a question with Lafreniere. I still take Lafreniere. Number one, and and like, listen, I think the thing we say this with a lot of teams. Like, it depends if if the depth steps up, or if, if it depends if these kids really take a step forward. We've been saying that with the Ducks for a long time. The difference with the Rangers is these are high, high caliber young players. Like these guys rarely don't pan out and become NHL players. When we're talking like first overall picks and a second overall pick, and Lafreniere and Kako, the odds are in their favor for them to pan out and be, you know very good NHL players, if not superstars in this league. It's just a matter of time. So I think that's where the Rangers differ for me, right? Is like there is a better chance that these guys do pan out and do play well this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've had a couple of years in the league now, and, and they kind of know what to expect. And they're both going to get thrust up in the lineup now to play top six minutes on a regular basis with good players. I would bet on their young guys producing and playing well over a lot of other teams in this league. When you look at, you know, Carolina saying can Netchass and Jarvis step up, I would still, you know, put money on, on Kako and Lafreniere being guys that I would say, oh yeah, they'll have a good year or better chance than a lot of the other younger players in this league. When we talk Cole Perfetti in in Winnipeg and uh, Marco Rossi in Minnesota, guys like that, like, oh, it's all dependent on if these young guys can step up. I still would would put the, my money with Lafreniere and Kako just because of how high, highly thought of and so they were going into their draft seasons and still, I mean, they still look good. Like Kako's underlying numbers are great. Defensively, he's been excellent. It just hasn't got the offense going. And Lafreniere looked really good last year, and, and they've seemed to have a focus to work on their defensive side of the game. So I think everything's going to come for them at some point. And, uh, man, it, it will be a very, very scary team. If uh, Lafreniere and Capo Cagle all of a sudden become 40 to 50 point players this year, like that is, oh, yeah, that is a tough, tough team to go and play against. And if they continue to also be exceptional two way players, like that, 
into the mix of guys like Zabinijad and Kreider and Trocek. Uh, and then the, the bottom six that they have, like they'll immediately for me skyrocket to the favorites. They have that potential, I think, a bit more than other teams where when you're looking at Toronto, you're looking at Tampa and Colorado, the question marks around their teams are not so much can these young guys step up, it's can these new additions or can they can they handle the losses that they sustained in the offseason or is the goaltending good enough or, you know, in, in mm-hmm. Tampa's cases, is the depth good enough? Is these guys going to stay healthy? I think the Rangers have the easiest questions to answer, if you want to call it that, with it's just the young guys to step up. And the young guys are highly sought talents in this league. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, uh, you know, for me, I, I think – in hindsight, I wonder if you would rather have Lucas Raymond. Um, yeah, I could see it. But, you know, again, like you said, like Lafreniere, he hasn't necessarily hit the heights people uh, had hoped. So, um, But, he, you know, he had, what, like 19, 20 goals last year? He was he was all right. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was good enough last year, right? Like, wasn't bad, you know, didn't live up, I'm sure, to the, Second year in the, to the lofty expectations. Um wasn't a major improvement, like 21 points in 56 games the first year, 31 points in 79 games last year, but rough, like largely playing kind of third line minutes for most of the time. And this year, it seems like he's going to play with Panarin or play with Zibanejad and be handed first power play opportunities. And I think that's where things could really start to click for this kid. I mean, listen, he's. There is a reason why people were putting him in the categories, you know, being one of the best players to potentially come out of the draft for the last, you know, for the last few years, because he was just that good at junior level and that dominant for years. So, I'm I would not ready to write him off yet. And I was a real big mm-hmm. fan of Quentin Byfield heading into that draft. And I love Quentin Byfield. And I and again, we haven't seen anything from Quentin Byfield yet, and I would still put money on him being the best player to come out of that draft. Um, as good as you know, t- uh, Tim Stutzla has been as good as other players in that draft have been already. Um, Lafreniere still has everything going for him to be a superstar in this league, and that that could come as early as this year. I, I just think he's that good, and he showed signs of that. We've seen some exceptional moments from Lafreniere. He had a, mm-hmm. uh, a couple highlight real goals last year. Still, again. 19 goals is nothing is not bad for a player who was 19 last year is 20 heading into this year like he's got plenty of time like we we thrust so much expectations on these kids to succeed right off the bat because we've had we've seen guys enter the league in Matthews and McDavid and just immediately thrust into superstardom right off the bat where it's almost like if that doesn't happen with first overall picks now that they're bad, and we saw it with Jack Hughes. And, oh God, this was a wasted pick. I mean, look what he did last year. He balled out last year, and everybody's like, "Yep, okay, here we go." Like, he's going to be a superstar this year. Like, that's going to happen. I mean, more, more like Scott that. still has him as the first overall pick in that draft, and that's the draft with Caulfield, yep. Boldy, Zegris, uh, Cider. Yep. Like, and and there's a st- yeah. I think you still take Jack yep. Hughes. Like. That's how good he is. Is these other guys are no joke, like real no joke. Did you see Cole Caulfield's one timer in the preseason game yep. yesterday? Fucking 
fucking savage, bro. That was so nice. It just takes time. I think that's the thing, right? Is is it's not always going to be the first year or even the second year, but there is more a better chance than not that these guys are going to figure it out and become great players in this league because it rarely happens that you get a Yakupov type situation that a guy just doesn't pan out. And I think we're all, you know, you all kind of expect yeah, that I think, now. I think it's fair to say there is still more than likely an opportunity that they become meaningful top of the lineup contributors. Mm-hmm. I would say I don't know that it's I would consider it more likely than not that they hit their ceilings right like yeah. you know because again like and I, I, again we all know that the com- comparisons are, are unfair in what they kind of do to these kids and, and put people in positions but we both trust Cam Robinson a lot and I remember him with Lafreniere he was saying he thinks of him in the vein of Jonathan Huberto. Yeah. If he becomes Jonathan Huberto, that's fucking huge. At this point, I don't know that I would expect that, but I also you still can't completely discount it. No. And I think that's the thing that that you're saying right now that I think is a hundred percent true is they still have the horses. They just got to get everybody pulling in the same direction. To that extent, which do you think is more likely this year? Gallant wins the Jack Adams or gets fired before the new year? Wins the Jack Adams. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think I there's... mean, it's the best goalie award, so I get that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I just think they, they, they have a better chance of being the best team in this entire league than being bad enough for him to get fired by January. I I, I would put, yeah, I, I think it's a better chance there. And I, I, I hate that. I, I was going to make that comparison to Lafreniere to, to Jonathan Huberto. I love that comparison. I think that is what we're talking about where sometimes, you know, it takes a couple years for some of these guys to get established. Jonathan Huberto was a third overall pick, less than a point per game in his rookie year, worse in his second year, 28 points in 69 games, and didn't break out into his third year. And the breakout season was... 54 points in 79 games. He didn't really become a superstar in this league until 2018-2019 when he put up 92 points. That was his first point-per-game season in the National Hockey League. And then ever since then, he's been well over a point-per-game player. Like, sometimes things just take a little bit longer. They click. And I think Lafreniere is a very similar player to um, Jonathan Huberto. And listen, if he can come out and put up 54 points this year for the Rangers, that's a win for them. That's that's huge. That's Mm -hmm. a breakout year for him. You don't have to be a point per game player to have a breakout year, you know? Uh, so I, I, I think, uh, I think we're, we're going to see big things from, from Lafreniere this year. I have more confidence in him than Capo Caco, but I still think Caco will figure it out. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much with you, man. I, I think, I, yeah, no, this is, I honestly, like I am, I am higher on this team after this than I thought I would have been going into this year. I, you know, I think it's hard to say, you know, again, like we've talked about, that they have the high-end talent, and I, I think you have to have them in the contenders uh, tier uh, across the league. Uh, but I was more than prepared for them to kind of be a paper tiger just because of the Chris Kreider stuff. Like, I just, you know, and again, like, it's so stupid, but they performed, they outperformed both of their expected goals numbers, and their expected goals percentage was 
god-awful for a team that put up that many points. But fuck, man. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know that I'm not more convinced they finished top five in the league in points than I am they finished third in the division. You know what I mean? Like, I just... This is going to be a real fun team to watch this year. I'm really excited. Yep, I, I'm. They'll be one of the teams that if, uh, if we're going to pick a team from that division or from the Eastern Conference to watch, I'll try and watch a few Rangers games because they they just have that potential to be a really really fun team to watch if things go right. They've already got again again you know Shesterkin's must watch TV, Fox is must watch TV, Panarin's must watch TV, but. You know, Zabinijad is in that conversation, but when you look at the boomer bust potential of, of guys you've already mentioned in, in Lafreniere or Capocacco, then all of a sudden, like if that happens, they're, they're, they're a team that you have to watch as often as you can. And that's all you hope for from the most exciting teams in the league, right? So they're definitely in that mix. Yeah, Keandre Miller's starting to figure yeah. it out more and more every game, and Jacob Truba could kill someone in any game. Like, it's just, it's perfect. I love so it. So could Ryan Reese. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're, you know you're going to get uh, probably a highlight real goal. Uh, Jacob Truba laying lay somebody out, and Ryan Reeves cleaning up the mess. That's likely what you're going to get. And Shusterkin just looking excellent. So. Yeah, no shit. All right, man. You got anything else? I, I, no, think that's, I think that's uh, that's about it for the Metropolitan Division preview. Yeah, and then we're on to the Sabres and the Atlantic, and then yes, sir. We're done with our our previews and our deep dives, and then we're into uh, the regular season, and and well, just before that, doing our our Ducks kind of deep dive mm-hmm. and, and Ducks season preview, and uh, going going into that right before the season starts. So. Uh, we're a couple couple days away from October now, so expect the Atlantic one to come out fairly soon, within the next week or so, and then the Ducks preview uh, before the home opener. I believe it's they open on the at home, right? The Ducks do, I think, or before this. No, they open in okay, Seattle yeah, before the the season opener. Then on October twelfth, uh, we'll have our Ducks season preview out before then uh, to make sure we get everything obviously in before the season starts, since it's a season preview. And as we mentioned multiple times, Pat is expected to make his return to the show after almost a year. December, I think, was the last time that mm-hmm. he was on the show. So he's he's expected to be back for that show. And, and we should have Jay. Jay said he, he should be there as well. So that will be a fun one, man. It'll be nice to get everybody back back for uh, the new season, previewing the Ducks. It's going to be an exciting year. Preseason games happening right now. They're down, what, 4-3 to the Sharks, I think. Uh, yeah, four three headed four, into three. the second intermission. Four three headed into the second intermission. So yeah, man, it'll be fun. I'm excited for this year. I mean, I think a lot of people are new additions to the team. Obviously, Trevor Segris makes this fun on a nightly basis, but a lot of a lot of other things to be excited about. Mason McTavish, Owen Zellweger, maybe making the team. Um, you know, what can John Gibson do this year? You know, Max Jones is back, so it's gonna be fun. Yeah, man, I, I'm I'm so excited to see Max Jones this year. Yeah. Um, but at this point, we're just making it longer for no real reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eddie, yes, you we'll, got anything we'll save else to that say? for the other shows. Nope, nope. That's it. Yeah, no All shit. Right, that's it. Got to keep it under two hours here. Yeah, or we get in yeah. trouble. So, thank you, everybody. Uh, like Eddie said, the next one will be the Atlantic, which, I mean, might be the best division in hockey. Uh, and uh, the Buffalo Sabers of the team we're going to really jump into on that one. So that that should be a lot of fun. I'm really. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that one. All right, guys. Take care, and we'll see you soon. Bye, everybody.